2: welcome to On The Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On The Page. I can't stop smiling because I've got <laughs> I've got some old friends with me, Jen- Jennifer Skelly and David Skelly. Hello. Hello. Oh my gosh. Now for people who go way back to like when the podcast first started, yes, Jennifer and David came on Oh my God, I guess we'd only been around for like a year or two, something like so. that. Yeah. You guys came on and you were talking about improv techniques for, for writers. That's right. Like I, here's the thing, like I'll read stuff and I'm like, new choice, new choice. <laughs> that's what
0: I remember <laughs> yeah, yeah, so awesome. much from that episode. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, but, you know, and then you came on, I think again, because, mm-hmm. you know, there were more credits under, under your belt and now... Oh, dear. Here, let me let me read to you Jennifer Skelly and David Skelly's bio. Here we go. So David is a show creator, director, writer, who's worked at Pixar, DreamWorks, Leica, Paramount Pictures, the Walt Disney Company, and the Jim Henson Company. He specializes in hybrid projects that contain elements of animation, live action, and performance capture. He puppeteered with The Muppets and multiple feature and TV productions, including The Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted, and was supervising director of the Henson PBS series Splash Bubbles, as well as series director on the Henson Netflix series Word Party. David is currently attached to his TV series in development based on a book by R.L. Stein. Now, Jen... Because, you know, come on, right? This is this this is a power couple here. <laughs> Jen is a writer and show creator. She's currently developing a project with Warner Brothers Animation, and she'll be pitching it around town next week. Ooh, can't wait to hear about that. She's written for beloved franchises like My Little Pony, The Lion Guard, and Barbie, and on shows that support a STEAM curriculum like Nature Cat, Rusty Rivet, Splash, and Bubbles, and um, those shows that develop social-emotional skills like... Little people do they still have that it, it's, is that not the that's not it anymore that's not sign. Oh, that, thank God, <laughs> thank God, cause that drove me crazy, okay, uh treehouse detectives and she introduced a new generation to some well, not she but but the the shows introduced a new generation to some of music's greatest hits with the show motown Magic. um and also Jen and David are married, <laughs> and they have. Two boys and one wasn't even, these, they were just. Good ideas right. when you first yes, were on the show, right. and then you taught a class of mine pregnant because right. we did some some improv for writers kind of stuff. So how old are the boys now? Six and ten.
0: Yeah, they're growing up fast. Yeah. Oh
2: my gosh, you have your little audience right there. We, we do. do. Yeah, test we have a very, we
0: have a critical highly test critical
1: test <laughs> market audience. at home. Yeah, they're they're like very happy to tell us what's not right. And but, I think because yeah. we've been
0: showing them things since they were really little, they're really good. They're actually quite good. They're great logic. Police, yeah. hmm. they're like, "Hey, what about the thing you said in the beginning? You never came back to that."
2: Oh, like interesting. They're, yeah. they're
0: really, they're really.
2: They'll be teaching you before you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You set it up, man, but did <laughs> you, you pay it there off? There was no payoff, That's right. right? I mean, I
0: just didn't feel the payoff, Dada. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, it's, what are when we're talking about family audiences what are the
1: age categories for family programming that's a really good question because it kind of it, it kind of changes and there's a sort of a new um a new idea right now so for a long time it was preschool shows and preschool is typically 3 to 5 Except that really it's two to four, but you can't actually say that you're making a show for a two year old because you're not supposed to let two year olds watch TV, right? So so it's preschool. Oh, you're not? It's really th- you know. <laughs> so, I
0: know. I was like, Whoops. what? Whoops. <laughs> <Do they? laughs> oh well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or they become great film critics. That's right. Um, if you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then there was six to eleven. So there was preschool, and then six to eleven. So preschool kind of running up to five, six to eleven. But then there's all those kids, especially like the second kid in a family, who watch the older things because their older siblings watching it. But they're Absolutely. still really interesting. In so the younger, kid. Stuff. and so, like, now they're it's what they call preschool plus or bridge shows, so huh. that's kind of like four to seven. And it's you know, you've got the kids who are kind of like, Oh, eh, it's you know, Paw Patrol's too much of a baby show for me, but then you know, they're not really ready to watch Rick and Morty, right? So, it's you know, kind of finding that middle ground for those kids, and and then you still get the older kids who are like, I still like it because you know, it's cute. I'm, and fun. I'm just watching I'm with, just with my watching younger with my sister, right. you know, right. I'm not right. into that, but right. can we watch the next one? Um, So with animation, you have kind of, those are sort of like the three kind of main categories, and then you just get into, like, beyond that. Yeah, and
0: then there's this whole idea of co-viewing or family audience, which is, we're making a show that's for both young audiences and their parents. So it's kind of everybody. It's the, you know, family audiences, it's geared toward younger people, but the parents or, you know, guardians are super interested in it as well
2: so you did some, some stuff for Shrek for Annoying Orange would those two shows fall into those categories
0: I, yeah I mean Annoying Orange I think was really specifically for like a 6 to 11 audience uh-huh. like I don't know if that's considered necessarily co-viewing however a lot of teenagers and young adults are super into that Right Um, Stoned parents (laughs) Exactly And
1: then then you get Like strange Unexpected things Like My Little Pony Was written as a 6 to 11 show But of course The main audience Is men oh, in their late that got early it, 20s. That got weird. <laughs> it's got a whole I mean, it's really interesting because the show is fantastic. The show yes. has great messages, but the messages were meant to be for like 6 to 11 girls with the time when like they worry about girls getting, you know, competitive and catty with each other in school. It's like friendship, friendship, friendship. But it resonated with a whole audience of people no one expected it to and mm-hmm. it became this worldwide phenomenon in part because of that. And then it's, you know, it is so it became its own thing. And So the idea of co-viewing is everybody says, we want the parents to watch the show and not say, we want, you always want to hear a parent say, oh my God, I love the show you work on because I actually like to watch it with my kid. I don't, you know, I can't, it does not make my brain melt. Mm
0: -hmm. And yet we have to be really specific about the audience. We can't say we're making this show for everybody because we, as show creators, writers, directors, whatever, producers, we have to be focused on a particular target audience. We have to know that we're making something for the sensibilities of, you know, a nine-year-old. And if a younger audience is into it, great. If an older audience is great. The, the, the stories that I helped develop at Pixar were just, you know, they were for a family audience. That was the idea. But it was just what we thought was funny. So because our senses of humor kind of went to the younger stuff and, and to an older audience, then it worked. But we were just making ourselves laugh. Yeah. And I think you can do that to a certain degree, but you also have to think specifically about who you're writing for.
2: So, so can you give some, not requirements, but maybe some sensibilities, like like talking about these very specific younger audiences, do's, don'ts, things to think about, ways that, that stories are told, things like
1: that? Mm. Well, one of the things with younger shows is that um, everybody hates the word formulaic. Mm-hmm. But it's formulaic, okay. and it has to be. Kids at that age actually really—they, I mean, developmentally, they benefit from seeing something. They and, like patterns, and they, and they want like patterns and expectations. They like to know what's coming. But everybody shies away from that word, formulaic, like it's a bad word in Hollywood. So now you can kind of use the word structure, and really, you're just saying, "Here's our formula." But. Mm-hmm. It's not formulaic Right Um, But having having a, a, A similar structure Now in some shows It's really specific You know You have your little intro And then they have The same song They play every day When they move into The magical world Or whatever it might be but even in preschool shows, they're moving away from that a lot, where you can expect a song, you can always expect a, a, an aha moment or whatever it might be, but they want to still be mixing it up a little in there. And that's part of the bringing parents in. When parents start to see the formula too quickly, then it becomes mind-numbing for the families watching it. So, you know, even with preschool, they're kind of trying to keep that interesting. But that is something that in preschool audiences, you, it's it's not a bad thing to have expectations of what they're going to see in every episode, just in a new and different way each time. So I think also that that
2: cause that if you're pitching a show like that by being required to pitch a structure, that also means things are going to be changing within the show every week. So by saying, okay, first this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then something else is going to happen, it means more than one thing is going to happen every week, yeah. and it it requir- it it, it Instead of just going, yeah, it's about this girl and her friends and their problems, right? Which is actually a pitch I get a lot. I'm like, okay, you know, tell me what that show's
1: gonna what, look like. Yeah, every yes. week. what's the show? What's yeah. the
0: motor behind that? Yeah, yeah.
1: It, yeah, it's um, the idea of, a, of structure is kind of, I like to think of it like a sonnet. You know, with with a Shakespearean sonnet, it's always 14 lines. There's a very specific pattern to the stanzas in terms of a rhyming pattern. It's a, B, A, B, A, B, and then last is, I think, C, D, C, D or something. And then there's a, it's always 14 lines but inside it can be anything and there's it's kind of the way I look at our structure like when I'm designing a preschool show like here's the structure we're always going to have A, B, C, D hit and you know E is always going to harken back to A and we're going to like have that nice closure and that wraparound but within that we can do anything we want Mm -hmm. And I think kids really respond to that. They're like, I know where it's going, and I know I'm going to have that, oh, that feels good moment at the end, because I'll a recognize it. A sense of closure, a and, sense a, of closure yeah, a, and a, a callback. Back. Mm-hmm. But um, but within that, anything can happen.
0: And that's very much for the younger audience, for the preschool audience. And those kinds of shows and those episodes need to be self-contained, and they need to have a you know specific beginning, middle, and end that resets... You for the next episode. And for a slightly older audience, you can do uh, something that's serialized, something that has a continuing story. But for preschool, not series as not as often.
2: So, so I just want to stay on preschool for a little bit. So, so okay, so not serialized, always contained. Mm. Um,
1: uh, what about most parale- of the time? What yeah. what about uh, subplots? Not as much, and mm. you know. For a long time, most preschool, most preschool shows are 11 minutes. So just today, though, actually. So season three of Lion Guard just dropped today. Lion Guard is a uh, Disney Junior show. It was a spinoff from Lion King. So it was like Simba's second child becomes the leader of the Lion Guard. And I staffed on that show. And third season just dropped this morning. And we just put it on. But Lion Guard was this really interesting um, decision to try something new. It's serialized. They can still mix it up a little bit if they have to, but generally there is a storyline that goes along and goes through, and you've got to follow it in order. And then um, it's 22 minutes, which is not as common for preschool either, but it's still considered a preschool show. Mm. And we have lions fighting, like actually fighting. There's no blood, how, but there's teeth.
0: How typical is that show for a preschool show, though?
1: Extremely atypical. It's not It's not common, but it was one of the most well-received shows on Disney Junior when it dropped, and kids love it. Hmm. So you It goes back to breaking the rules,
2: so, so it so kind of kind of is changing how we think about preschool, like yeah, right, because i mean the- sh- the shows that we've gotten used to now are different than the shows that you know yeah we grew up on, yeah, Sesame yeah. Street,
1: the way it played in the seventies wouldn't work today because of because a it's younger kids than it was then really watching it because now two year olds are watching it, and back then we were four and five mm-hmm. but but also you know attention spans, and we understand how kids follow things better and what kind and when you break up the stories and like that many different stories, it's harder for kids to follow it. So it has really changed a lot, but, but line guards unusual. You won't really see that very often in preschool.
0: And I would say that's an older preschool. That's on the older end. of Yeah,
1: preschool. it would be preschool. So maybe that a bridge, the, a bridge, it's, show. It's really
0: a bridge show. See, I yeah.
1: know that term now.
0: <laughs> yes. How about
2: that? <laughs> um, so, so what about like shiny colors and loud noises and, things that we, you know, associate with those
1: kind of shows, are those really a requirement or those just things that happen to show up? Interestingly enough, they're kind of becoming, in some ways, um, there are shows that are specifically being geared towards kids with spectrum disorder. Um, like too shiny and too bright can be, can be difficult for Mm -hmm. a young child who might have some sensory problems or some um, problems, some sensory disorders. And so you'll find shows that where the music is softer, they're actually designing some shows right now where the, like the, the, um, the dialogue is raised, but the music and sound effects is lowered so that it's not as, um, abrasive or as aggressive for a young child. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting because developmental psychology is playing a really big role in what's happening with creating preschool shows right now. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so it isn 't always necessarily bright colors and and loud noises and big, loud music. Music is always a really easy draw for preschool, you know sure, um, but even the music changes, like Daniel Tiger has these really little, tiny, very simple ditties that yeah. um, a kid can learn to repeat back and there's always a little lesson in it you know like it's about being mad or, or stopping before you get to the street corner or whatever it is but and I just
0: I just directed a series of music videos for word party for Netflix There's season three that'll be coming out soon
1: and his word party
2: is is preschool as well it's yeah.
0: preschool it's a young preschool it's definitely designed for you know three four-year-olds even two-year-olds uh, it's early language acquisition and those songs those from season three are like full-on pop there's a rap song there's you know um there's like a broadway musical you know they've really pushed it and and pushed beyond that sort of i guess expected norm for a preschool show
2: because Mm i think especially with songs you've probably found this with your own kids right is they learn the songs immediately
0: yeah
2: like they can just spit back lyrics like uh, Mm-hmm. what you already learned that song. Yeah. So like taking them to a more sophisticated place, yeah. I could see how they could definitely handle that, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and also they like rap and stuff. like That's right. right. right?
0: Why not? Yeah. And I think it, again, it's, it's bringing in older audiences, That mm-hmm. co-viewing experience because yeah. oh, that's a rap song. How are you doing? That's, it's a preschool rap. Amazing.
1: It's really, we fight against that idea that like, Oh, you know, it's just a kid's show. We hear that all the time. It's just a kids' show. It doesn't matter, and we makes, it makes us crazy. But it's kids are so savvy. They're really savvy viewers. You know, they might like the rep- repetition, but frankly, they're going to get the repetition anyway, because now kids just watch a show over and over again. Cause they can, they're either, it's either streaming. And so they'll just be like, play that one again, play that one again, or it's on a demand or you've recorded it or whatever, but they watch them several times. So they create their own repetition if they're not getting it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's how they remember it. And that's how it sinks in. So, you know, But they're savvy. That was the whole premise of
2: Sesame Street. I always loved the songs on Sesame Street. I thought they were so good. Did I ever tell you, I may have told you this, that I was one of the test kids for Sesame Street? What? Really? When I was three years old. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, it took me out of the preschool I was in. I was in, We were living in Brooklyn at the time. And, uh, you know, sat us all down. And, you know, and my mother was there. And she, she remained angry at Sesame Street. She, she really appreciated it. But she had, she had a note that they did not take. And that was that uh, Cookie Monster was not speaking well right
0: <laughs> me, me want
2: this me want that and that was going to teach kids you know incorrectly right, right. it was a grammar <laughs> issue yeah. and uh and, and to this day, well not anymore she's she's passed but um you know Always, whenever Sesame Street was on, you could just see her being like, "They should have listened to why didn't listen to me?" You
1: <laughs> that's know,
0: that's wonderful. A whole
2: generations of kids say, "Me want cookie." Exactly, that's why. exactly. That's
0: wonderful. Exactly. I love that story. But
2: I lo- always loved the the songs on on there. They yeah. they were really catchy, but you never felt like they were sort of dumbing it down.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um. So so all right. So that's preschool, and now we're getting to slightly older kids, and like you said, there could be a serialized component with yeah. that.
0: Because I think kid, like older kids can connect the dots a little bit better than a younger, a younger audience. So they can remember what they saw in that episode yesterday or even the one just before, you know, if they're, if they're binge-watching it. Yeah. And, uh, and so there's more of an opportunity to keep a, a long-form story going. And you can show a progression of uh, a character, more of a transformation like we do in a long-form, like a feature or something. We can, see, we can map out, um, just like an adult show, mid season this is going to happen to the character and there's going to be a big change at the end there's going to be a big cliffhanger and they'll be changed in that way and then we move forward from there
1: and the the netflix of course has changed so much about how we how we're both creating content and how it's getting out there and one of the things that's really that I'm finding really fun is that um, In kids programming at Netflix, you know, back in the days of, not back in the days, when PBS creates a show, they usually bring up an order for 80 episodes at one time. Wow. And then they might drop them all because they're stripped. They're five days a week, so they need to have a lot of content. But with Netflix, you know, they'll drop, 13 at once, but instead of like a normal season order would be 26 and they might still order 26, but they're going to call it two separate seasons mm-hmm. and then they'll drop 13 at a time and they might wait wait three months before they drop the other 13. I think like Motown dropped in November and then again in May, I think, May or June. So it was almost six months or so before they dropped the second half. They made them all at the same time. They ordered them all at the same, t- same time. But what they're doing with some of the shows is they're like, okay, we really want 26, but we want the 13 to feel a certain way, and we want the second 13 to feel like something new has happened in the show. Either what's different a, about the second what's half? What's different about it? They're in a different place. They've had some, maybe it's not serialized, but at the end of those first thirteen, something has happened to change them a little bit so that maybe we introduce a new character in the second, the second drop. But it's really cool because it, it's now giving preschool and 6 to 11 shows a really easy place to... Um, up the stakes or change the the parameters of the show.
0: Or the look of the show.
1: Yeah, even within a, a short period of time. So it's kind of it's I think it's I think it's speaking to the fact that kids are savvy. And, and also it might keep keep the writers from getting bored too. <laughs> right? Right? Definitely. Sure. really no it really does. It's, you know, I have heard in so many preschool shows, you know, that if if I've if I freelance for them, you know, part way in, they're just like, oh people were just, you know, out of ideas like how do you how do you make an evergreen show that has to not have continuity be interesting after you've done three seasons of it especially like on a PBS show that's like you've done 80 and then you've done 80 more what else is there to tell and it is you know you can bring in a whole new crop of writers but then it's it it has a different feel and within
0: each episode that character can go through an arc they can have a problem learn something be changed by it but then reset you know we're back to square one in the next episode
1: yeah
2: yeah. Now, I know that, that people bring you in to kind of freshen up their shows or come in at the beginning of shows to set world and set character. Um, going back to your improv training, is is that, uh, do you, are, are those some of your tricks to, to, to get people thinking like,
1: no, yeah. we can, yeah. there's more here. Yeah, for, yeah sure. for sure. We do, I mean, we, it's so funny. We rely on that all the time um, as a, f- as a staff writer, you know, you get to be in a room with people and you get to know them and create a relationship. But a lot of kids' shows are not staffed, they're a freelance all the way down the line. So you'll have a story editor who's there full time and in charge of every script, keeping
0: but, track of the tone of the show and the yeah, voice of the show. Yeah,
1: but what they may do, and you know, I've worked on some really incredible freelance shows where they'll bring like all of a, the writers in for a full season for two days, or even we did a five day story summit last mm-hmm, year, mm-hmm. which was. Kind of unheard of and, and
0: and fantastic
1: yeah it was great and they bring all the writers together so you have a week to sort of build that rapport or even two days but you you really get to sort of have that nice writers' room kind of feel of like bouncing ideas off of each other and playing improv games and like what if the character did this or what if the character did that and it really does have that that feel um, but I've I've found in those rooms that some writers are used to being In their room by themselves writing. And they aren't used to being in that a lot of freelancers can, you know, can spend most of their career not not working with other people.
0: And they don't have to. And they don't have to. In part that's right, that's the appeal for a lot of writers. Like I I'd like to do my own thing. I want to, you know, step out of that sphere for a little while, find my comfort zone, my cafe, my office or whatever, and do my work and do what I do best and what I love to do. And then, you know, present it. Yeah. For for us in particular, the two of us, we
1: thrive. We love that. I think it's we because
0: it. of our acting backgrounds. You know, our love for improv. We love to be in a room, spitballing and and trying to plus each other's stuff. That's why, you know. Uh, well, I, I mean, if, for us, working collaboratively is a big part of it, yeah. and that's not everybody's game. But for us, we like that. Oh, wait, about what about? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I like that. What if we went here instead? And the uh, and it's blue. You know, and you know the, what, that that kind of energy and uh, and bouncing back and forth, and the idea of yes-anding—you know, mm-hmm. taking somebody's idea and plussing it. We're going to use that, and I'm going to add something else to it, and spin it this way. Um, when we're in a situation like that, our job is to make everybody else around us look like a genius, right? And so we're we're, our, you know we're plussing everything. We're not. We try never to say never no. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, Mm -hmm. it's how we keep a positive, Mm -hmm. um, positive vibe in the room, even if it's not our room, you know, we've just been invited to, you know, be at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, That's paramount for us. And we're trying to uh, help create that environment and that safe creative space.
2: Sure, because yeah if you can't knock you can't knock ideas in a writer's room because then it's just never going to go anywhere yeah, right it's yeah. just like oh, there could have been so much more that was gotten to sure. if people yeah. said yes and yeah. and eventually it becomes the idea that does work yeah, right of course. yeah um what about now like, David, you know I'm always confused about this, so don't. I hope you don't think I'm a jerk. What do
0: you do? (laughs)
2: Well, actually, it does have a little bit of that. Um, When you're directing for animation, Mm -hmm. what does that entail? And I guess it's a two-parter because you do performance capture a lot. Right. Is that different from CGI?
0: It is different from keyframe animation in that... With performance capture, I'm directing on a live action st- sound stage. You know, like we were doing a, a sitcom or a one hour drama, or whatever. So I'm, I'm in a sound stage. I've got actors in front of me, camera crews, you know, craft services, which is very important of where course, all the snacks yeah. are, and uh, and it's very much like um, any other live action show you would see, except those people who are on that stage are driving animated avatars and so when i'm looking at the monitor which is uh, showing what i'm capturing what the performance that we're capturing i'm seeing an animated character i'm not seeing my friend who's the actor standing in front of me
2: that must be wild
0: it's, it's awesome. like magic it's oh, so amazing oh my
2: god it's like it's like a it's a it's like Pokemon Go, right? <laughs> <That's> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right.
0: And I get paid to play that.
2: Oh, my God. Uh,
0: that game, that amazing game.
2: So what you're looking for, right, is expression, right? And also, I would imagine, like, physical action, right? So, sure. so if, it's, if your character isn't conveying what they want through character, you've got to make them bigger.
0: or It's all the exact same things as a live-action shoot. What? So I'm watching that animated avatar move. But I'm judging the performance So just like it were a regular video camera or a film camera shooting somebody who's standing in front of me uh, I'm watching for you know, is there verisimilitude? Am I? Is it making me feel something? Is it funny? Is it if if the intention was to move me was I moved? And if it wasn't then I have to make you know, I say cut and we make those adjustments I go to the actors and I say hey, can we try this? Can we try that? The great thing about performance capture is that i'm making an animated show but i can still improvise and i can still have that immediate feedback from my actors who um uh who are every bit as extraordinarily um trained talented and experienced as any live action actor so you know they're um they're standing there breathless having just done their best performance Waiting, you know, trying to convey that story moment, just like any other actor. I'm I've got additional tools, you know, to use I'm looking at these monitors. And I can play back the animation. I know later on, if I have to, if most of the performance was was great, I can work with a team of animators who can take that performance and manipulate it a little bit to push. So if the expression wasn't quite there, but the vocal performance was there's no way I could top it. Mm mm-hmm. Then I can say that's great for us right now, Uh, and I send it to my animators with notes and discussion, and I say I really want to push the expression to convey what I heard and the body language that we saw. But for whatever reason, that facial capture that we were doing, or which is sometimes
1: a glitch, it can be you know because there's so much technology involved. Sometimes something glitches a little bit, and you you miss you know a frame of it because of. Because of tech. And then they have the ability to go back in and clean it Mm -hmm. after, which Mm -hmm.
0: is great. Or, you know, because it's animation, we can just push it. Like, that was a great live-action performance. It's animated. It's Shrek. It's, you know, one of those great Jim Henson characters in Splash and Bubbles. You know, Word Party or whatever. So we just want to push it. You know, we want to make it uh, a little little bouncier, a little stretchier, whatever. So, I Love that
2: bouncier and stretchier. Yeah. <laughs>
0: hey,
2: could you do that a little more stretchy? Yeah. Thank you. Just
0: circling back to the, the original question, you know, for keyframe animation. Then, if we've, you know, if we're taking out the performance capture element, and it's just a, you know, straight keyframe animation, then which I'm, could
1: be CG or two D, doesn't, you know, same difference. Right. With a computer, hand
0: drawn claymation, whatever you, you know, stop motion animation. Then we're. I, I'm working directly with animators who are conveying those same emotional beats, but with a different set of tools. They're not using their voice or their body. They're pushing uh, you know, digital puppets around the screen frame by frame to convey those same emotions. So they are every bit as trained and ex- as experienced and knowledgeable as actors with a different tool set. Hmm. So they, you know, the best animators out there are, you know, are also trained in in acting and and voice, but they don't necessarily want to be in front of a camera or a microphone. That's not their gig. Just like some writers would prefer to just be you know quiet in their cafe or their studio at home writing, you know, while others like us who love to be in a room, you know, being loudest uh, <laughs> if possible. Um, you know, the, oftentimes animators are actors, really good actors. Who would prefer to do it privately?
2: Isn't that funny? So in a way, their their character is their their avatar, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So absolutely. That is that is wild. Thank you for explaining that to me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Wow. And I would imagine also all the puppetry that you did when you were young, right? Um, not that you're not young yet. No, but you know, thank you. You started young. You started so when young. I was <laughs> young.
0: <laughs> like I started pretty young. Uh,
2: all that all that puppetry must have. That really makes you empathize, right, with the animator,
1: oh, because, sure. like
2: you said, it's their it's their puppet in a way. Yeah.
1: Right? Well, you probably remember David's old headshot that he had, I think, when we were teaching here, and uh, we had this hilarious headshot shoot, and you know, it was pictures of his face, and then he did one where he put his hand up, like oh yeah. frame, remember? and it was just his hand with yes. his headshot, which is really I hilarious because for a long time, a long time. and <laughs> and we would we joked about the fact that David is you know really an actor, but. Much happier acting with a puppet at his hand Instead of having to be on screen himself
0: Oh yeah, so I, I totally relate with that Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually, you know I, And I'm a pretty good singer But not if you're looking at me or recording me But with a puppet, not bad
2: That's so funny Because I
0: have a, a, a certain freedom when I'm puppeteering do
2: you remember that old uh, Sesame Street clip um, that was just the hand and the hand would come up and just be really emotional oh yeah Yeah, and you know and and so I I loved like like I said I loved Sesame Street and I watched it through you know my little brother um, and then my younger kid and my older kid so I used to like when they were bored, if we were in line somewhere, this was before, you know, everybody had a phone, I would do the hand oh, trick, <laughs> you know, that I learned from Sesame Street. Like, and like, you know, the, the hand being so sad, and you know so happy and stuff. And, uh, you know, it can be so expressive, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's what I learned a little bit
0: yeah. from Sesame
1: Street. <laughs> yeah, It'll and, be good.
0: and all, the same, all the same techniques apply. Yes. So, you know, a puppeteer and an animator are doing very much the same things. They're imbuing something that shouldn't move, with life and character.
1: And to go back to the directing of it, I mean, I think part of what I think, mm, part of what makes David a great director is that he actually sees both sides of that. So, like, he, when he's directing animators, he, he can sympathize or empathize with their situation of not wanting to do it on camera, so he knows the right words to use to get the same kind of performance that he might get out of a live actor on a stage. Well,
0: different, yeah, different, you know, of course, different people need different things, right? Yeah. So when I'm when I'm directing at the Henson Company on their on their very um, specific performance capture system, which is both suit performers or body performers and puppeteers who are doing uh, facial animation and voice simultaneously with another person who is performing the body, and those two performances are combining into one character. It's
1: mind wow! While, while, while they're doing crazy. that
0: live, uh, there are three cameramen who or women who are um, operating. Um, virtual cameras in that virtual space with the director of photography who's giving them direction as well, so there 's this you know this uh, orchestra of people you know working simultaneously and, and every one of those people needs something different so because i 've spent some time as a puppeteer i 'm able to speak in a way that they understand, and I know the things that they need, and I understand what it 's like to physically for them to do what they 're doing and you know creatively and emotionally, so they need different things than people who are doing that body performance or you know dancing on the stage and i'm trying to watch out for all of their needs at the same time while getting the performance I need and making my day and you know turning around to my executive producers and saying we got it we're on time you know <laughs> taking care of them taking too. taking <laughs> care of them you know as well yeah. Uh, yeah. by keeping the whole thing running and trying to get it we on those productions we usually shoot an eleven minute show which is like a 15 page script a day so it's a lot to juggle and accomplish i will
2: never watch one of these the same way again (laughs) oh my goodness yeah
0: it's a lot of fun
2: um okay i want to get back to writing and creating for for a second because i'm really interested in this and in that the world has changed right Mm. The world has changed so much since I had little kids, even since you had little kids, right? It's changing in some, in some scary ways. You know, even today there is another mass shooting, you know? Um, So it, it, as much as we try and keep our, keep this away from children, it comes into their brains. They see our worry. They catch something that they shouldn't have. They Mm -hmm. hear talk at school. Mm -hmm. So how are you incorporating or how are you distracting them from these
1: these issues that are coming up today? So much of it, for for again, got, you're looking at age groups, and we're dealing with one set of one piece of the side of information, which is you know divisiveness and anger and. Uh, violence. The other piece that we're dealing with a lot is climate change and issues of like the world is dying and you're there will be no world for you when you grow up like those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And and there's a there's like a there's a developmentally there's a point when kids can if it can be too soon to talk about some of it because if they haven't yet learned to love the world, uh, the planet as it is or if they haven't yet learned to empathize with with other people. And in fact, empathy they say like that until kids are seven, they don't really have that much of a capacity for empathy yet. So there's some of it where if you try to introduce it too soon, and you like say the world is crumbling, go you know go recycle, kids. <laughs> that it's like it's a little bit too much for them, and they they haven't learned to love the world as it is yet. Before they can learn that it's falling apart, and then the same goes through with some of these bigger concepts of like people treating each other badly or people killing other people. That like they, they don't they haven't yet learned to empathize emph- empathize with others, so they don't quite understand well. That is bad, but why or why would somebody do it? I don't understand how someone could feel that way. And so at a young age, addressing the foundational elements of those seems to be something that I think a lot of children's television is moving towards, which is teaching kindness and empathy and teaching self-humility and teaching that we all make mistakes and we do things wrong and that's okay and that um, there shouldn't be shame or judgment, you know, as a young kids show creator i mean so many of these stories of of shootings and especially shootings in schools are based on kids who were shamed and kids who were um, embarrassed and kids who didn't feel comfortable in their own skin and didn't feel like they were enough and my goal as a creator is to just remind kids every day that like we all have shortcomings we all have our quirks we're all somewhere on the spectrum like all of us have our thing that makes us feel different and feel not a part of everybody else it makes us feel other and if you start to recognize that everybody feels like an other then that helps you feel like you're part of that group of all others you know like we all have our own unique things and and that that makes us wonderful and embracing that and I, as opposed to, like, so many shows for the last several years have been about just treat each other well, treat each other well, treat each other well. That's important. But uh, so much of it, I think, has to stem back to, like, treating yourself well when you when you do it wrong, when you make a mistake, when things don't go the way you want, when, um, when you feel less. And to me, that's, with the very younger audience, some of the best way to start to countermand all of this news and information and things that they're not they're not oblivious to, they do see it. You know, we can try to flip off the TV really quickly if a news story comes on and we can, you know, I mean, my six year old is on YouTube. He's seeing stuff, you know, right, right. And, and I don't want to shelter them from it. And, you know, we have conversations with our kids all the time about the fact that, You know, the life that they're growing up is different than one of their friends because they're little white boys, and if they go outside and play with a gun, it's going to be different than when their their friend, who's a person of color, goes outside and plays with a gun, and what people's expectations of how they see them. And our our goal is to our goal as creators is then to create as many of those conversations that we're having with our kids at home on the screen, so that kids who would you know have grow up ten years ago, fifteen years ago, watching a show that's an all white cast might not really think twice about watching a show that's got a multicolored cast, but mm-hmm. also then some of those kids in those shows having those conversations. Some of the older shows, the 6 to 11 shows, are doing a great job of it right now. They're really opening up those conversations and opening them up to different types of kids, and Steven Universe has like this amazing, diverse cast. And Oh, yeah, th- those are my girls' favorite show.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and my oldest, who's uh, non-binary, really was um, just just so happy that there were there were um, you know characters on the show that represented them so mm-hmm. well you that's know? right mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I, I mean our, part of what we want to do is just make that something that nobody questions mm-hmm. yeah. so of course we're going to make a show that has a wide variety of diversity and, and represents as many people as we can but for us at least personally we don't point to that mm-hmm. this is just normal right you have this kind of a cast and it's a, this kind of a mix of people period now we're going to get to the storytelling
2: i have found that with this generation of of you know young teenagers and older teenagers it's like yeah there's just kind of this yeah what's the big deal that's yes. right you know why are you guys in your dramas about somebody's gender or you know right or and it's sort of like yeah they just are couldn't yeah. i go
1: now like that's right. i guess, yeah. I guess. That's
2: right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and yeah. that's what i feel like that's what i feel it's funny because we deal you know you're dealing with this like from a from a from a creator we're still a seller right we're still selling to the buyers and so the conversation that the buyers are having is like and not all of them but much of the conversation is still well how do we make this a really diverse cast and how do we make sure that we have the appearance of looking like we're making these big changes and the younger kids are like huh why is this in the part of the conversation? Like, it just is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're trying really hard to make shows that just sort of represent that that situation of, like, anybody can look like anybody and can be anybody. And, uh, you know, even in one show, unless you have a cast of literally 500, you can't possibly have everyone represented. But we're doing our best to to have our the experience we want our kids to have because we're raising them in LA in a yeah. place where they like, we chose not to go back to the Midwest and raise them in a very, in a very homogenous community. Cause we wanted them to be exposed to that from a young age. So we want their viewing to represent that as well. And to
0: right. reflect that
2: because for kids who are in the Midwest who, you know, it's, they're seeing on screen. Yeah. A normalization, mm-hmm. you know,
0: that's right. Yeah. yeah. That they may not see in their day to day life. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, on the flip side of everything that Jen has been saying about, you know, uh, the messages and everything, sometimes our job is simply to entertain and to Mm -hmm. be an escape from all of those conversations that they're having at home and at school and with their friends. And, you know, hey, let's just do something fun. Yeah. So for 22 (laughs) minutes, it's just going to be zippy and zany and silly and really stupid jokes. And things are going to, you know, um, be... Marginally logical, and and and, you know there'll be fun songs, and it just makes them forget for a second, you know what's worrying them, right? You know, and I think that's just as valuable, yeah. You know, to contrast with that, one of one of my favorite shows growing up was Fraggle Rock, and I know as I got into the Henson Company and understood the history of that show, that Jim Henson's um, goal with that show. Was to help promote world peace And the way he wanted to do that Was to create a show that was all about Interconnectivity So that all of the different disparate groups in that show Didn't realize as much as the viewer did How perfectly connected they were and dependent they were on everyone else And if this show were translated Into enough uh, You know a, A bunch of languages and dispersed across the world Then a whole generation of kids Would be growing up with the same show That would have that show in common And could use that as a foundation for their um, understanding of each other, even if they came from different cultures and parts of the world.
2: Well, in a way, you know, I mean, that that bodes well for the amount of content that we have, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and as having taught all over the world, you know, the common language was often TV. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like... Uh, you know, whatever somebody been, what I was binge watching was what somebody in like uh, Cartagena was was binge watching, right, or yeah. in Lisbon was binge watching. You know, uh-huh. and so so having that with kids, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. right? I
0: like that too. Yeah, we have something in common, right? Yeah. And
2: so, in a way, like that vision is something that TV TV at its best mm-hmm. could try and accomplish. That's
0: right. So yes. that's sort of the lofty goal, you know. And, if and it's yet Fraggle Rock If you watch it on the surface Is just a silly
1: Ridiculous show sure, it's I just, mean it's, it's, just, it's just fun just, It's just puppets sewing, pu- And they're being s- s- silly And there's selling, music selling Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's what I think Is so brilliant about it Is that like You know little it, You want a kid to watch a show Because they're having fun And enjoying it And then like have learned a lesson at the end of it not for them to say wow thanks I really learned a good life lesson today right. and I think you know? that's
0: getting back to the you know one of your earlier questions about you know different ages for audiences and what's you know what are those dividing lines and family audience there's a great example of a show that's designed for a younger audience but the quality of the performances and the writing and the songs are so high that an older audience can recognize that and enjoy it and sing those songs and enjoy those performances hmm
2: and we talk a lot about getting work on this show, right? Yeah. Um, and we talk about it, you know, with with you know, getting staffed on grown up shows and writing feature films and all that. But how? Any any advice for somebody who wants to get into kids programming? What would you suggest they do? Is is writing a spec of a show a way to go? Or yeah. writing an original pilot? Like how how does
1: one get hired? It's it is both yeah, and definitely
0: it's, yes and yes to those.
1: Yeah, I mean with with is, with animation specifically, um, there's so much freelance. It's <laughs> so much of it is freelance, and so um, it's really just about like making the contacts and getting your script in front of somebody. And the chance of getting hired is a lot easier in freelance than in staffing because staffing's like you've got four positions, but with freelance there's just a lot more. I think. Opportunity to pick up a script here or a script there, and then start to be building your your resume and your collection of samples that you can send out. But a spec is a great way to do it. I mean, no, a
2: spec of an existing show, mm-hmm. so that's still yeah. okay. Like yeah. that's become a little like, oh no, we don't want that in the in the grown up TV world. But that's still okay. Like I'm going to spec out a show like that you guys are working out. Um, they'll take that. Would they prefer that over original, an original pilot? Or do they have a preference?
1: It depends. I mean, there are a lot of people who are like, I just want to hear your voice. Uh-huh. So I want, you to, I want to hear something original.
0: I mean, for me, that's my go-to. I know. I, I want to know. know what somebody's voice is.
1: Well, and the funny thing is, too, if you're... So I, uh, a long time ago, did a speck of a show that... It was a Disney Junior show. I did a speck of Doc McStuffins a long time ago. And I you know, was ready to send that out to people. But then my agent was like, I'm going to send this over to Disney junior. I was like, well, you can't send that to Disney junior. You can't send them a spec of their own thing. Like right. that's ridiculous. And he's like, it's really good. I'll send it. And it was really funny. Cause I had a meeting with Joe D'Ambrosia at Disney. And he was like, when I was reading your spec, I had to stop myself. I kept writing notes on it. Cause it was oh. so on point that I was like, I thought it was a script that had come through the pipeline. Oh, that's great. Which was a huge compliment to me. And I felt like that was great. But that's where it can get tricky. If you write a spec and then you send it to somebody, and it ends up getting to the same studio or the creator of that show, like it, it can it, be, it can backfire. Because it's
0: really hard to match the voice of a show that's that's you know in, that's already been done or in progress without being part of the show. It you, is you're not part of all those internal conversations. But
1: there are. But my hesitation on saying writing something original if you haven't been into the if you haven't been in the kids space and you're just trying to break into it, there are. There are tells and things that people just don't like to see that have been done and done and done and done in kids' shows, and it's changing so quickly. That if you were to to write a like something that's in your voice, but like that you grew up with, it might not match at all today. What kind of things are selling? That's true. And it can be potentially someone's like, well, it's your voice, but this is like this has been done, or you know, or it feels too much like. Or
0: and there's a lot of work involved in creating something original because you've got to develop those characters, figure yeah. out what the world is, what's the game of the you know, what's the uh, the engine behind the show. Yeah. So, you know, to write a spec script then you just, you, you've stepped into a world that you understand and you can write those characters and it's about creating something to show someone It's creating a sample. Well,
2: you could do both, right? So, so like, let's say that you learn about the structure of kids programming based on a show that you want to model your original, your original show on, right? So you, you spec it out and you learn on the job that way, and you mm-hmm. have that spec, and then you immediately take what you've learned, and now you, you use that structure for your original show, yeah. right? Yeah. So now it feels familiar, but it's completely unique.
1: Mm-hmm. You've mm-hmm. got an original sample, and you've got a spec if you need it. That's the right. other thing that's great about having an original sample, too, is that the other issue is that every show is, can be so tonally different, and the story editor or the showrunner who's doing the hiring and who's going to be reading what you send over they say they want to hear your voice because ultimately like what they're looking for is someone who they can s- fit into a certain slot. They want to cast you and in, into their show. And if, if you write a spec that doesn't tonally match their show, then they're like, well, I don't know. Can you do this kind of show? Mm. Can you, can you write for a little girl's show? This is a spec of a little boy's show or whatever it might be. But if it's your own original thing, there's, I think there's more leniency. I think a, a somebody reading your stuff is a little more like, Oh, okay. I can see your voice in this. I'm sure you'll be able to fit over here and I think that it gives in some ways it does give you a bit of a of a um of a pass on not being tonally matching that show
0: I guess the short answer is both
1: <laughs> <laughs> but also you know what's funny is i so I wrote a number of shorts that were like. A minute and a half, page and a half little pieces that were some of the ones that David directed at DreamWorks TV and like Shrek and uh, Kung Fu Panda, Puss in Boots, things like that. Everybody wants a short read. And Ah. and with animation, sometimes, especially if like it's if they want, they always want funny Everybody, everybody wants... They're like, send me your funniest script. And I'm like, your show's not even funny. Why do you want a funny script? Because <laughs> every- I'm bored. Exactly. <laughs> Entertain me. That's right. But I got a lot of work in the early days off of those really page and a half shorts. scripts. Ah. And people were like, oh, thank God, I can read this in two minutes. You How know, And I'm done and I don't... And they're like, yeah, she can write. That's good to know. So yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt to write something shorter. And the other thing is that... So kids television, being 22 occasionally, more and more of it's moving towards 11 seven minutes is becoming a new format. That's much more common as well, especially with streaming. You don't have to fit to the network parameters of commercials and time slots. So, um, a oh, seven that's, minute,
0: that's a, maybe a 10 page script.
1: Yeah. A seven mm-hmm. minute original is so, I say easy to write, but like a seven minute original is, is tackleable, you oh, know? I um, love that.
0: I also love the word tackleable. Thank
1: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey guys. um,
2: uh, I, this has been. I, I love having you on the show. I I don't want it to be this many years that go by again. But <laughs> at the same time, it's really fun, sort of jumping back into your life yeah. and seeing what big shots you are now. Well, so don't tell us that. know. <laughs> huge. Um, are you are you reachable on social media? Um, do you guys do all that
1: jazz? Yeah, I'm actually uh, I'm finally a little bit more Twitter. I barely Instagram, but yeah, my Instagram handle is at j o z.
2: Twenty-one.
1: Okay. Um, I have had to think really hard about that. And Twitter, I'm just Jennifer Skelly. At
0: Jennifer Skelly. Jennifer Skelly.
2: Yeah. Uh, S-K-E-L-L-Y. That's right. Okay.
0: I am not as online as I should be. <laughs> uh, DavidSkelly.com. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. And that's where people can kind of see samples of your work and yeah. things like that. DavidSkelly.com. Cool. Cool. Well,
0: I mean, Deliah, thank you. You know, I want to shout out to you too. We, man, we took your classes and workshops and got... Counseling and advice from you, and had you read our stuff, you and know, then taught here, and, and then and taught here, <laughs> and you've helped us so much over a the years. Aww. Really, you—it's. Uh, invaluable, invaluable advice you gave us. Thank
2: you, and thank you for segueing into the pitch part where I say if you want to be David and Jennifer Skelly when you grow up (laughs) (laughs) you can go to onthepage.tv, do check out the in-person classes here and also now the online I keep calling them online video conference classes because it is just me and the whole team, you can see me, I'm teaching live, it just happens to be through the computer and they've been so much fun. Uh, The new round of classes is starting. First draft class is starting up in September again. So go to onthepage.tv and check that out. Thanks, guys. Oh, it
0: was our pleasure. Thanks so much for having us.
2: And thanks to all of you for listening. Have a good writing week.